This podcast was made in collaboration with Expedoc. You're listening to the Development Dialogues, an economic development podcast. I see economic development really leaning into serving underserved communities and population. The economy's not going to wait for you. You have to be on the forefront of that. What does success look like? Jobs. Brought to you by GMI Post. We've reached episode four of the podcast. Hey there, my name is Ryan, and together with Philippe, you're listening to the Development Dialogues. On the podcast, we talk to leading economic developers across the United States to get to know more about their stories and their strategies. Our guest for today's episode of the pod is no stranger to community and economic development. His career in growing communities spans over 17 years. In 2017, he became Grow Wabash County's first president and CEO. Here to paint us a picture of what leadership and economic development looks like in rural communities, please welcome to the podcast, Keith Gillenwater. Hey, how's it going? Doing great, doing great. Thank you so much for asking, Keith. And thank you for making time for us today. How are you? Oh, doing wonderful. It's a, it's a great fall day in Wabash, Indiana. That sounds awesome. Also with us in the podcast is GMI Post Director, Philippe. Hi, Philippe. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Keith. I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> awesome, awesome. As I said during the intro a while ago, Keith, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um... We are so looking forward to getting to know you better, talking about economic development, talking about Grow Wabash County. But before we get to all of that, maybe we can start by turning back the hands of time and getting into your origin story as an economic developer. So how did your career in economic development begin? Yeah, so fresh out of college, uh, so I'm 46 years old, right? So graduated from college in 1999, and I was in a career field uh, working in law enforcement where I was doing crime scenes uh, as a technician. And um, what I realized was a few years into that career, it wasn't really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I you know, had this personal revelation that I wanted to do something that I thought would help a community more than what I was doing, right? I really wanted to get into some sort of a community development or economic development role. So started working on my master's degree and eventually a a spot opened up at the state of Indiana to work in a community development role. So 2006, uh, I entered into a community development organization and Worked there for a couple of years and had an opportunity then to get into an economic development role in a community here in Indiana. So worked there for six or seven years and then came to Wabash County in 2015. So I've been with actual Grow Wabash County uh, for about nine years and is, I mean, I'm getting ready to finish up my ninth year. Overall, I have about 17 years of experience uh, into community and economic development. And so that's my story. Oh, wow. That is so interesting. Did you mention crime investigation? Yeah. I was the guy that I knew how to 
you know, I had to go to the jail every night and fingerprint inmates and that kind of thing. But then I also would go out and dust for fingerprints at a burglary. And I knew how to classify a fingerprint and read it and tell you what it means and that kind of thing. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting job. Yeah, It's just not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. That's a pretty big jump. <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> big jump. So what so, would you to pivot in such a major way? <laughs> well, so, I mean, kind of personally, right? I mean, I, I kind of had a little bit of a revelation in myself realizing that I didn't, one, I didn't want to do it the rest of my life. And secondly, I realized, you know, that what I was doing, I didn't feel like I was really making a difference, that I didn't really feel like I was helping anything. and that's not what I wanted for me personally. Right. And so I started looking at what are the opportunities I could uh, start to pursue where I can actually make an impact in the community, because that wasn't, in my opinion, wasn't what, what, what I was meant to do. And so I started working on my master's degree in public affairs, public administration, and that opened up an opportunity with the state of Indiana to, you know, go and get a job, uh, you know, managing some grant funds to help build libraries and fire stations and, you know, even economic development infrastructure and those kinds of things where you could actually see a project that you worked from, from the beginning to the end, and then you see the impact that it has. And then to me, that then opened up economic development to say, well, if we can bring an employer to a community and it creates jobs, and then that that a new family moves to a community and has a new livelihood because of something that we have a part of. So that's a great feeling. For sure, for sure. And Keith, if you can still remember, what was day one for you like? Because as Philippe mentioned a while ago, jumping from crime investigation to economic development is such a huge leap. Yeah. So what was your first day as an economic developer like? So day one, it was quite a quite a jump, right? Because I had went from something that was completely different, right? I'll give you two day ones. How about that? So my day my day one starting at state, it was like my mind was blown, right? Because I had to think about things differently. And I was dealing with different people, right? So when I was working crime scenes and going to the jail, I was dealing with people that had, I mean, they were in the jail for a reason, right? Some good people for sure. They just got, you know, end up wrong place, wrong time. But then there's also people who clearly should be there. Right. And I went from that to talking to mayors and state officials working as a appointee, you know, for the governor's appointees type of people. So that was quite a bit different. It's kind of a culture shock in my mind, right? Day one, then when I got purely into an economic development role at the community level, I started uh, in my previous community in 2009. And if you remember what the world was like, the economy, 2008, 2009, you know, we had a crash, right? And so I started in a community that at that, the day I started had a 19% unemployment rate and they were heavily tied into the recreational vehicle industry. And that industry had completely collapsed. So I had a bunch of people unemployed officially. Our unofficial unemployment rate was much higher than that. So it was a good opportunity too, right? Because there's not much you can do wrong when you have th that much of a problem going on. So it gave us an opportunity to start trying some things as well. And so, yeah, that, that was day one for me. 
And from your day one, I'm going to fast forward a bit over here and jump all the way to 2017 to when Grow Wabash County was established. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the first president and CEO of Grow Wabash County. Yeah. Right. So Wabash uh, County had uh, had historically had an economic development effort. 2017, we merged the economic development efforts and the Chamber of Commerce together. Right. So I was hired as the first CEO of that organization and I'm the only CEO of that organization. And so fast forwarded to that day, it was a great day, right? Because the work that we had done between the two organizations to bring them together and to bring the membership and all of our public officials to all buy into this new vision was great. And the new vision was everybody had little silos that we were working on. This was the first opportunity to say, there are no more silos. Everybody, you know, we're all one organization. We're going to work on big picture items, projects that move the needle forward for Wabash County. And that's really what we've been charged with. And I'm proud to say it's what we've been doing and what we've been accomplishing. So for the benefit of the, of the listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about Wabash County? Yeah. So Wabash County is in the northeastern part of Indiana. So if you look at a map of Indiana, we're between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne, essentially. So which are the two biggest cities in Indiana? We are considered a rural community. And so our population of Wabash County as a whole is about 30,000 people. But my population of the city of Wabash is about 10,000. And that's our largest community. And so small towns, small rural community, right? Industrially, you know, our economy is made up primarily of manufacturing. You know, we have a pretty diverse manufacturing base, everything from metals foundries, you know, we have a large brass foundry, a lot of aluminum foundries, a handful of those, automotive, agribusiness, food and beverage. So we have, we have a pretty diverse manufacturing base, but manufacturing as a whole, by and large, is our largest wage payers in Wabash County. And it's interesting because out of the 50 states in the United States, Indiana is the most manufacturing intensive of those 50 states. And our region, Northeast Indiana, and the region next to us, which would be North Central Indiana, those two regions are the most manufacturing intensive regions in the country as well. It's what we do. We we know how to make things and we do it really well. Right. And Keith, what's interesting to me is that as I'm going through Grow Wabash County's official website, there's a part there that says 51% of the jobs in the county actually come from local startups. Can you tell us more about Wabash County's thriving um, startup scene? Yep. So we we have a startup economy that we really encourage, right? And so new businesses, whether it's somebody starting a downtown business, you know, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a tapas bar, uh, craft cocktails, like these are all things that have started downtown in the last year, right? Or it's a startup manufacturer, like because of the the manufacturing legacy that we have in this community 
we get a lot of engineers, CNC machinists, those kinds of things that work for a factory or work in a business or they design products and they're saying that they start to have that internal conversation like we've all had at some point in our life to say, is this what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And they say, well, I could continue to do this for this factory or I can split out on my own and start my own. I can buy some machinery and start making my own product, maybe to compete, maybe not to compete, but I can do this on my own, right? And that's where those startups come from. And so if you look at uh, the total jobs in our county and look back over where the new job growth comes from, it's from people doing just that. That's sort of a really interesting approach because you know, a lot of times when we talk about economic development in a lot of different parts in the States, it's really heavily geared towards investment attraction, bringing in big brick and mortar to invest in their areas. But this is a really interesting approach because there's a really grassroots approach to creating the jobs within the town and sort of uh, and within your area. Talk to us about that approach you guys have. So... I'm still an economic development organization, right? And so I certainly try to do business attraction and I think we've been successful with it. And it's so it's absolutely a part of our strategy, but I'll also tell you business attraction is a competitive game and there are a lot of competitors out there. Everyone that you're talking to on this podcast series are people I'm competing with for projects, right? And you're talking to really good people. And so you multiply, I think I'm pretty good at my job, but you multiply me by 92 counties in Indiana, plus cities that have their own times 50 states, times 182 countries, you know, and there are a lot of people out there. So it's, there's a limited number of projects and a lot of people competing for that. And so... I'm a baseball fan, so I'm going to use a baseball analogy, right? And that is economic developers have a really low batting average when it comes to projects anyways, because you have to swing at every pitch, right? If you want to be able to get a hit to, you know, to get one of these. And so it's a hard job on the traction side. So where we feel like we have an advantage is working with the people that are already in our community, people in our general region in our area that may have an opportunity to start that business. And so we do a lot to try to support that because I don't have to compete to get someone to move from Tokyo to Wabash, Indiana with that. I've got a guy who's already here. How do I support him growing what he's got? I don't have to convince him to move halfway across the world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's also interesting for us to see how the dynamics change because, you know, there's a clear difference in approaching economic development from like a mega city perspective and sort of there's a different approach when you're when you're on the on a smaller population rural setting. But what's interesting is that you guys do have that really strong manufacturing tradition. How have you seen things evolve in the decade that you've been there? So it is interesting um, to to your comment, right? Being a representing a smaller rural community, we have to approach things differently. I mean, we have a great quality of life. Every economic developer will tell you that that you have that their community is great. But I will tell you, if quality of life to you is being able to go to the Gucci store, if the quality of life to you is being able to go to 
an NFL football game or an MLS soccer game, uh, soccer match or something like that. I don't have that here. Right. And so you have to go to a bigger city for that. Um, and so from that aspect, we have to really be able to promote what is strong here. Right. I will also tell you the other challenges that you have with a rural community is population, right? So we have a smaller population. So that means we just by having less people means we also have less available engineers and less available accountants and that kind of thing. And so we have to know what companies that we're working with that can be successful here and which ones are not. And so we have to really be able to have an honest conversation with ourselves and with anyone that we work with to let them know that, hey, I can absolutely help you hire 200 people. I can't hire a thousand for you, but I don't have it. Right. But then I think the other way that things have changed, another aspect that is increasingly a bigger part of my job is we work on a lot of things that about the livability of a community that maybe other economic developers in a larger organization don't necessarily have to work on. So I'm doing a lot of housing projects right now because we have a housing shortage. I'm doing a lot of workforce development because there was nobody doing it here. And when a company needs to hire a hundred welders or CNC machinists or, you know, whatever that skill set is, we're the ones that are arranging to bring an educational provider here to do the class. We're the ones getting them registered for the class. We're, we're doing all that as a service to our companies, right? So we, we end up taking on a lot of these things that in Indianapolis, their, their economic development organization probably is not spending a lot of time on housing because it's a big enough city that's growing that the private developers take care of that on their own. I have to attract them here. I have to work with them. I have to figure out how to get them in infrastructure, all of those kinds of things. And we do. It's just part of the job to get it done. Yeah. So, Keith, as I listen to you talk, it seems like you are responsible. You're personally responsible for a lot of moving parts. And with so much responsibility on your plate, how do you then come up with holistic strategies and make sure that you're not forgetting a thing or two here and there. That's always the biggest job, right? I will say I am blessed to have built a really good team that makes me look good. So my vice president, Tennille Zartman, is the other half of, of me as a person, as an organization to make sure things move smoothly as I run off a hundred different directions to make sure that as I shoot off that she is that center, right? Keep things going. I would also say one thing that I think separates Wabash County as a whole is that we have a very strong alignment between economic development, our city, the county, our small towns, the community foundation, so the philanthropic sector and our business community. So we all work together very well. We all fund projects for each other. We all participate on each other's boards. We have that alignment so that when a project comes up and an opportunity is there, a, a new funding opportunity, we can rally the troops and be first in line. When a new opportunity comes up to, you know, we're doing housing. So we had an opportunity to buy essentially a city block of homes and I needed money for that. 
I could talk to philanthropic partners and get money to a donation to our foundation to go start buying houses and pieces of land and go talk to the mayor and say, mayor, I need $80,000 to, to buy this derelict house. And like, yes, we can make a donation to you. Right. So having that alignment and those partnerships, particularly in a small town is so critical. And it's usually the biggest challenge that other communities have because we get asked a lot. We do a lot of tours of our, of our downtown. We do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of speaking and that kind of thing. And they're like, well, how do you, how do you do that? And it's like, because we got everybody aligned. And the first thing that they say is, oh no, I don't get along with our mayor or our commissioners have cut our funding or whatever it is. And like, you have to, you have to get all of that set if you're going to be successful with the other things. Well, first off, I'd hate to see what your calendar looks like because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's marked red all over. Um, but kidding aside, with you being such a, an integral part of a lot of projects within the community, how do you then measure success? What is your barometer for success in economic development? Yeah. So how do we prioritize the projects? It's what are the things that are going to have the most impact? First off, looking at those things that obviously you always want for the low hanging fruit thing. If you put things into the four quadrants, right? Like what are the things that take low effort, but have a high impact? Those are your best ones, right? But a lot of the time where economic development is, we're working on the things that take a lot of effort, but then have the high impact. You, you deprioritize the things that are high high effort, but low impact. Right. And so I think you have to figure out where things fall on that spectrum. And then you prioritize which ones are going to move the needle in our community towards our community's goals. And so that was really why we reformed our organization into Grow Wabash County. And so I think that's how you prioritize them, right? From a barometer standpoint, like how do we measure success? kind of borrowed from accounting, we use a balanced scorecard approach to say, okay, here's all the our, our, you know, our priorities of our organization. Here's the projects, here's the actions that you're going to take. And then here's the progress on it. And then the the objective report is how have you progressed that from square one, you know, to square 10? That's the success. I mean, obviously from an economic development standpoint, people particularly Americans, always elected officials want to look at jobs. They want to look at how many jobs were created, what were the wages, and how much was the capital investment. Well, those are all great objective measures, but I would say when you're working a project that's going to take you five years to acquire all of the land that you need, you have to be able to count as a win the incremental progress that it takes. And knowing at the end that it's going to result in jobs or investment or new housing units or some objective number that you can put on a press release, right? I want to highlight the word that you used just now, which is incremental progress. Because you're right, in economic development, some projects can take five years, 10 years, and I'm pretty sure within um, that time frame, changes would have already happened within the community, right? So my question is, how much of Wabash County now is due to economic policies and was made by design versus how much of it is 
a byproduct of the changing times? So um, I, I couldn't put a number to it, like if you went to percentage, but what I would say is that why we have had success is because we have a plan. And so it's by design. I will also say every economic developer has to be reactive. When I started in economic development in 2009, I was still chasing smokestacks, right? That was the job, trying to get the next factory to come to town. 2023, I mean, you still do it a little bit, but it's not 70% of my time. It's a small piece of my time. It's 10% of my time. I spend more time working these housing projects, working a brownfield redevelopment, working downtown things, working just general workforce development, you know, all of those things. So you have to be reactive and change with the times. But if you don't have that plan, if you don't, if it's not by design, something, something's wrong. Right. And Keith, as we wind down on this interview, we also want to pick your brains on the future of economic development. So looking ahead, how do you see economic development changing in the next five to 10 years? So I think over the 17 years I've been in economic development, it's vastly different now, right? When I got into it, I never thought I was going to be doing any housing projects. I never thought I would be doing even the focus on entrepreneurial stuff, right? I, you know, It was, yeah, get the next factory. So... I think 10 years from now will look more like it does today of economic development. You have to have a, a somewhat broad definition of what, what are the projects that you're doing to add value to your community, right? I mean, so projects I've worked in under that livability aspect. I mean, we build an inclusive playground, right? We spearheaded that. You may ask, well, what's the economic development effect of, of a playground, right? Of an inclusive playground. And our argument was, we're trying to attract talent to our community. We're trying to attack, attract people to want to live here. That's an amenity. And if you have a kid that has uh, different physical abilities, or you have an aging parent that you're taking care of, they can go with your grandson to a playground and both of them can can access it, right? And so it's things like that. You have to you have to take that definition of what you think economic development is and really examine, all right, what are the projects that actually have that impact that add wealth to your community? And so I think communities really have to be cognizant of that, that their efforts are inclusive and that you're, you're raising everybody in the community from an economic standpoint is is a key effort that is important now and will be even more important in five years or 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so given what you just said and how economic development changes rather rapidly, what is then the most important skill or quality that a person must have in order to be successful in the field of economic development? So honestly, the, the most important skill is you have to have an open mind, right? You cannot be set in your ways. You know, I'll tell you, when you're a young economic developer, we all kind of come in with some of that sort of thing, right? And you you have to be willing to react. I preach it to my companies here. You know, we use a, um, we have, um, you know, a legacy manufacturing workforce. Some of our manufacturers you know, struggle to hire new people and that kind of thing. And so 
that ability to react and be able to have an open mind to be able to say, okay, maybe I need to think about workforce differently. Maybe I think need to think about hiring differently. Maybe my practices that are ideal in my in in my mind are not the same as what reality is today. And so we work with our manufacturers on some of that kind of thing. And it holds true for economic development. You have to be willing to react. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to listen to other people's ideas. And by the same token, you know, the other side of that coin is when you know something is right and it's going and you can objectively show it, you also got to have that backbone to be able to stand up for it. <laughs> so knowing that sometimes politics get in the way, I'm lucky in this community because that doesn't really happen because we are all in alignment on things. But I've also been in communities before where that is a real challenge that, you know, if you take a different opinion of somebody else, they, uh, you know, they're going to hold it against you. Right. So, but, open mind and and also just having that resolve you know right well keith i have one last question left yes if you had to summarize your entire economic development career into one lesson for our listeners what lesson would that be the only constant is change so that's the lesson right the only constant is change so be willing to change, be willing to react and always keep in the mind of what you're trying to accomplish and what your, what, what your community needs and what your job is. Be willing to react and be willing to change. Well said. And with that, I could not think of a better way to end the podcast. Thank you so much, Keith, for sharing your story and uh, spending your time with us here on the pod. If people want to get in touch with you, if people want to get in touch with uh, Grow Wabish County, where can they find you and how can they reach you? Yeah, so the easiest way to get us is through our website at growwabashcounty.com. And you can find my email, contact, cell phone, all that good stuff on there. Feel free to reach out. We love talking uh, to anybody that wants to talk to us. And we uh, certainly love sharing our story. And uh, hopefully if somebody's listening that has a project out there and they want to locate a business in a beautiful place, I can get you uh, I can get you some help with that as well. Thank you for listening to the Development Dialogues. Brought to you by GMI Post. Visit www.gmipost.com for exclusive country economic reports, investment guides, original feature articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of GMI Post. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, anything, or anyone.